purpose tonight. If you'd look over at Romans chapter 13 this evening in your Bible. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13 and verse 8. Last week we looked at the matter of a biblical view of debt. And we're going to tonight go back to that study and just continue one last part of that. We looked at a couple of things that I'll briefly review. And then we'll look at the matter of the debt that we are to keep. The debt that is important for us to recognize. Romans 13, let's read verses 8 through 14. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13 and verse number 8. Romans 13, verse 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, It is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Heavenly Father, please teach us from your word. I need your help and your power tonight to be clear and to speak what your word says. Help us to have understanding hearts tonight and ears that are attentive to hear. And I pray that you would encourage us about our opportunity, our obligation even, one to another. And we'll thank you for how you'll teach us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we considered briefly uh, the matter of debt. And the fact is, many people have questions about finances and about debt. You'll find all kinds of gurus, all kinds of talk uh, personalities who will give their opinion about how to look at finances and debt. And we saw that the Bible speaks of debt, that debt defined, um, we saw last week, ophelo, that Greek word is used uh, over 36 times in the New Testament. And it's often translated owed or being indebted, uh, duty or an owing of something. It's the idea of being under an obligation. I really want you to see that thought as obligation. When he speaks, even in this verse, owe no man anything but to love one another, an obligation is being spoken of, something that needs to be addressed, something not to be talking about uh, lightly or flippantly, but it's an obligation, a responsibility. Uh, We saw as well that debt can be abused. There are those that can oppress others with debt, uh, heavy amounts of interest and not showing kindness in that, as the Old Testament saints were taught in Leviticus 25. We also saw that debt is serious. And if there's anything about this that I want to bring back to your remembrance tonight, it is that we live in a culture that does not see responsibility as a serious matter. In fact, debt is not viewed as a serious thing. It's often a very flippant thing in our culture today. And our culture encourages debt in its worldview and almost says you don't even need to be worried about the responsibility of it. Um, And we saw as well that there is debt to avoid, that debt in which one does not intend to pay back that which they have owed, which basically is a dishonesty. But tonight we're looking about the matter of the debt that we are called on to keep. Now, this debt, this responsibility is one, you say, why aren't we talking about financial things? 
In a matter of speaking, there's things to understand about this as we think about each other. And if I'll think correctly about this kind of debt, it will impact how I act with money. It'll impact how I think because how you use money is directly connected to how you view your responsibility to others. It's directly connected to what we read in this verse that we would love work no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you do right by others, you will do right in the matter of finances. Can I say that again? If you do right by others, you will do right in the matter of finances. Where we get into trouble is acting like I can do things to others that I would not want them to do to me. That is not, that is not a wise way to look at money. And in particular, in this passage, we're taught something about how we interact with other people. And a very important lesson in your notes there, the very first thing, the debt to keep. The debt to keep. Notice with me in our passage in Romans 13, verses 9 through 14, speak of an obligation to honesty, an obligation to honesty. In this passage, you'll notice he says that you would walk honestly. The Christ walk demands that I have no plans of getting past my responsibility, my obligation to love others. You know that sometimes we can look for ways to avoid what we know we ought to do, to not take on the responsibility. In chapter 12 of Romans, he talked about in verse 17, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. And he goes on and speaks about um, avenge not yourselves. Somebody does you wrong, am I to take on the responsibility of avenging that? No, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So that when I think of how I treat others, I don't say, I don't have an obligation to love them because of how they've treated me. That's, that's important in your relationships in the home. That's important in your relationships in marriage. That's important in the body of Christ. It's important with how I deal with people in the workplace. It's how I deal with people in the world I live in. I have an obligation to demonstrate love towards them. And that, re that realization of that honest uh, understanding is that Christ in me is what must be seen. The law is perfectly fulfilled in you and I when we walk as Christ alone makes possible. Can I fulfill this on my own? Could I work enough in my own strength or my own effort to do what this is saying in Romans chapter 13? This idea of keeping the law. Um, that is the need that you had for Jesus Christ in saving you and in making you into the image of Christ. The one who perfectly demonstrates this. I need that power. I need to be honest, though, about the obligation to this. If I don't see the obligation to it, I will be in great need. And this matter of Christ in you, this obligation to walk honestly, is that we be what we are supposed to be. In James chapter 2, a similar concept is found. Look over at James chapter 2. Hold your place here. But look over in James chapter 2 with me in verses 1 through 10. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. James 2, verse 1 says, My brethren... Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto you an assembly, a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are ye become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, 
and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and this is exactly what Paul stated in Romans 13, what's it say? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. If I will demonstrate love towards others, doing right by others, do I have an obligation to do right by others? Well, yes. I absolutely have an obligation, a debt to pay to demonstrate love. What does he say? You do well, but if you have respect to persons, what is the next statement? You commit what? Sin. It's wrong. It's not what you're supposed to do. It's not what you ought to do. And are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, this is important. What makes a person guilty? Well, sin makes a person guilty. Who made me free from sin, church? Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed on the cross made it so that I don't have to live like I once did. Aren't you thankful for that? Are you? Do you recognize that because of Christ, I can love like I'm told to in Romans chapter 13? That debt, that obligation, is not something that you pay out of some kind of resource of your own. You see that that is the responsibility, the obligation that you have because you are in Christ. This is what Christ has made you to be. Do you know that this is an important thing that I'm honest about the fact this is my identity? We've been seeing this in Romans 6. My identity is one who is raised to walk in newness of life. This reality of a responsibility to others is something that I have because of what Christ has done. It's not that I say, well, I've got to keep trying to do this in order to earn my salvation. No. And neither is it I've got to keep trying to love other people so that I don't lose this salvation that I've gained or that Christ has given me either. No, no. He's the one that is enabling you doing this thing that he's called us to this responsibility. Look back again at Romans 13 with me. He says, let us walk honestly in chapter 13 and verse number 13. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. All of those things that he'll list, strife, envying, chambering, drunkenness, rioting, they have negative effects, not just on the person, but upon others. Uh, The things that are mentioned in verse 9. Not committing adultery, not killing, not stealing, not bearing false witness, not coveting. Those all have relation to what I might hurt others with. You know that in the body of Christ and in your home and in your relationships, you ought to recognize you can do harm to others. You can hurt people. You know that you have a debt to pay to recognize? It ought to be your intent not to do that, not to flagrantly harm people. Now, There is a reality. We can harm people when we're not trying to. You ever been guilty of that? Um, You're looking at a guy who this week has felt that way, okay? I I know you're probably wondering, what do you mean, Pastor? Um, You know my heart for this church is to continue to do what God wants, but I don't always communicate like I wish I did. You ever felt that frustration with your pastor? Yeah, did that help take a little attention out of the air? I realized I didn't do as good a job with that this past week. Now, that is not because I wanted to do harm to you all. And I know that you know that. But as a pastor, when projects come up, I want to communicate more about them. 
I didn't do as good a job at that. My debt to you, my responsibility to you is to demonstrate love because that's what I ought to do. That's what you ought to do. But what about in your family relationships? Has there ever been over time when you did something and it was intentional to harm? The things he's talking about here, these aren't accidental things. There's, there's, there's a that was done on purpose. And that debt that I have towards others is not to do things that are on purpose to hurt. Never. Not one time. I have an obligation to honesty. You know, in family relationships, in the, in the home, there's an obligation to see that I have, I have a responsibility. I have a debt to Lindsay to love her, not because I'm being loved back. I have an obligation to love my children. I have an obligation to love brothers and sisters in Christ. I have an obligation to love a world that doesn't even love me. I have a debt to pay. Now, when I say a debt to pay, it's not as though I'm paying this to earn my salvation. What's this debt? It's a responsibility. And if you'll get that word duty or ought or should or an obligation that you need to honestly see, I hope that'll be what you live out, that you'll live that out, that you know. And there's a couple of things that Paul says to help encourage this. Consider how Paul finishes this passage. He says, you know the time. Look back in our verse, he says in verse number 11, chapter 13, verse 11, and that knowing the what? Let's try it again, verse number 11, and that knowing the time, the time. How many of you like to watch the clock? Not, of course, during preaching, uh, but maybe when you're at the doctor's office and you're wondering when's, you know, my appointment was, and it's already 12 minutes past that time. Uh, we can watch time. We, are, we know, you know, my, my sports program is supposed to come on at exactly, and we, the news is supposed to come on at exactly, and we expect things on certain times, don't we? What about the realization of the time that we live in? He says here that we're to be recognizing the time, that you know the time. It isn't time for slacking or ignoring responsibility. You know the time. There needs to be an honesty. For the believer, what is coming? He says in verse 11, that knowing the time that now it is high time to do what? Awake out of sleep. Awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. You know that whenever the day was that you trusted Christ for salvation, you're closer to the realization of what Christ has done for you and what you will be than you were in that day. You're closer to that. Does that excite you? It excites me. Um, I'm closer to what will be the way that God intends for me perfectly to be, that I'm not there yet. I'm not arrived. You're not arrived. By the way, has that ever been something you've recognized? I don't live around people that have arrived. Don't jab your husband or wife. We haven't, and you won't until that day. But I'm closer to that day, so guess what I ought to be looking towards? I have an honesty about the obligation, responsibility that I live this life in. You know, the person financially that gets into problems with money and debt and does not take care of them often lives unrespecting of time. Oh, I've got time to get to that. Oh, I've got time to pay that off. And guess what happens if you don't take debt seriously? Does time make that problem go away? No, it makes it worse. It compounds the problems. You know that as we get closer to the return of Christ or of our dying and one day being with him, 
the end of our time in this world, you know that I ought to be constantly growing more aware of the time that I have to do His will, to do what He's made me to do, to live out what He's made me for, to love more, to love others as I have a responsibility. That I would be honest about that is the obligation that I would challenge you tonight to consider. And he gives them the method as well. He says, you know the time and you know the method. Look at the next part in verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. There's the method. He's spoken of this already in chapter 6 in Romans. Let us recognize that I don't have to live in this effect of sin dominating me, being a mastery of me anymore. Cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. You know what the armor of light is? It's Jesus Christ. Every bit of Jesus Christ is what is to be put on. In fact, he'll repeat that again in verse 14. Do you notice what verse 14 says? But put ye on what? The Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The method of my recognition of this debt, this responsibility, is not to panic. By the way, have you ever recognized you had a responsibility and it stressed you out? Do you have a financial responsibility? Do you know that a lot of people with financial responsibilities that they wonder how they'll deal with can stress about them if they do not have a plan for accomplishing what needs to take place? I've met numerous people who... The weight of the challenge is greater than the plan that they've ever thought of. There's no method. There's no, what am I supposed to do? In fact, a lot of people are paralyzed in life, as it were, by not knowing what the next step is. And, and that's not just true on the level of finances. Sometimes it's true spiritually. People are spiritually kind of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. Very simply, you're to put off the works of darkness Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize this is not your identity. This is. And everything that Christ wants accomplished, he's made it power. He's given the power for you and I to do that. Um, that method takes a effort of your will, though, a choice. I can't do this because this isn't honest. In a, in a financial situation, if someone knows they owe $100 and need to pay it back, but they look at their the day, and they say, you know what, I'm hungry today, I'm going to go spend $15 at Burger King. You're like, who would spend $15 at Burger King? You I know. Any more, that's about what you might spend if you just get the biggie size on everything, right? Now, can someone in that moment forget the reality of something and just live for the pleasure of the moment? Could they? Yeah. If they do that, are they being honest about what needs to take place in order to take care of their responsibilities? You and I might say quickly, no. Or they're being not as responsible with it. But if they would say, you know what, I, instead of getting the biggie-sized $15 meal today, will only take what I need, you know, two, $3 meal, so that I can take the other 12 and set that aside every day. Guess how quickly that $12 will pile up every day that they don't use the 15th? Well, pretty quick. They've got it paid for, don't they? The $100 debt. Wow, they had a plan, though, and they put that plan into action. Now, whether or not you eat $15 meals at Burger King is not really my point. 
recognizing that there is a plan for you and I to live out our responsibility is a great comfort. Because if I don't realize there is a plan for this realized Christian life, I might just feel like, I don't know what to do. And, and become, as it were, paralyzed by the fear of not doing something. But then in that fear, not doing the next thing that you should do. The next right step, the next right choice. Putting off sin and recognizing I need to put on Christ is a matter of constant realization. It's a reality that I live in. I know the time that it is short, what I live for. I don't have uh, guaranteed 50 years to serve Christ in. I need to serve Christ today. Can I say that again? You don't know how many years you have to serve Christ. Serve Christ today. Wake up tomorrow and decide, today I serve Christ. It's what I'm here for. It's my purpose. It's all I'm going to focus on as I'm considering what's important. I serve Him. I serve Him. And in recognition of time and the method that He's given to us, you then and I can do what we're told. Does Paul say, oh, no man, anything but to love one another and not say that there's a way that this can take place? No, he very clearly says you need to know the time and you need to recognize your obligation to then make a choice. The method is that you would put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. The things that you want that would hurt others. And are there things that you want that would hurt others? Are there things that we can want that would hurt others? If that is what I desire, is the, I want to hurt them, or I even want this and it will hurt them, you know what I have to say? I can't make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Those desires are not what I'm going to live in. And so the obligation to honesty is important. Notice with me a second matter tonight briefly, and that is the obligation to unity. In chapter 15, verse 25, Paul brings up this matter of debt or obligation again. And it's an interesting thing that he uses financial terms in the book of Romans, uh, in this letter to the Christians in Rome. He uses that term reckon, remember we saw earlier on, and impute. Here he uses this term, again, about um, debt. And I want you to follow along with me in Romans 15, verses 25 through 28. Romans 15, verse 25, he says, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this, and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Now, this is an obligation not only to honesty that Paul speaks of in the book of Romans, this debt that we are to keep, but it's an obligation to unity. That's the next blank. Number two, an obligation to unity. An obligation to unity is what he's speaking of here. Now, what's going on when he speaks of addressing them about the Jews and Gentiles coming together in unity? Has the book of Romans some distinct emphasis to Jews and Gentiles and the challenges they might face? Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the, the Greek, yeah, to the Gentiles. Okay, and over and again, there are things throughout this that address questions that would be coming from their unique perspectives. And 
boy, if there was ever a church that would have had unique perspectives, the early church with Jewish background and Gentile background would have been quite a clash. Can you imagine if it was just in human terms, a gathering of people that have so different of a background? Wouldn't that be a pretty amazing thing to have observed just from the outside looking in? What are these guys working together? That's unusual. But what made their challenges unique was how they viewed things from their ringing up, from their growing up. And those that were Jews oftentimes saw things through the perspective of the law or being very diligent in religious ritual and keeping days and in feast and in all kinds of things they could not eat. For Gentile believers, that had never been part of their life. None of that was like in their mind. And so how they reacted to each other and would relate to each other was a big deal. This matter that he brings up about going to Jerusalem He doesn't ask them, as it seems, to do anything regarding this. He's informing them of things. And I find this interesting about Paul. Paul is constantly bringing up what God is doing in other people to the encouragement of other people. You know, it's a really important thing to notice that God is working in other places. In other people for his glory that unity is taking place in other places for his glory. And what he brings up to a group of believers in Rome that might have been conflicted about some things and not sure about what to think is he says, look over here and what's going on in all these churches in Macedonia and Achaia, that they're wanting to make a contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. Well, who were the poor saints in Jerusalem? What kind of saints would they be in Jerusalem? Jewish. Jewish, by and large, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. Who are these people a mixture of, Jews and Gentiles in Rome? The churches in Macedonia and Achaia, there would be some Jews in that, but a large quantity of Gentiles who were being encouraged to help out others. Now, this obligation to unity was given a way that they could do that, a way that they could show that unity to each other. And it was by financially helping, by being an encouragement to them in their need, in their time of want. They could be an encouragement. And what that would do is bring unity to two groups of people, two groups of people that might be at odds with each other, but unnecessarily so. And what does Paul do to encourage that unity? First of all, letter A, Paul speaks of others who see the debt to help. Paul speaks of others. He speaks of the churches of Achaia and of Macedonia. Uh, He speaks of what they're doing, that they see their obligation, that they see their debt. It isn't even so much that he says, I told them that they had a debt. He says that they see it. Look again at what it says in verse 26, where it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia. Were they under obligation, by the way? And 1 Corinthians very clearly teaches this. Um, Were they to have given out of some kind of necessity and force, like you've got to do this or else? No. And by the way, you ought to keep that in your mind about giving. Giving is an opportunity to do so out of a heart of gratitude, not out of a, you better do this, beat you over the head. That obligation that I have to do right by others is not because, well, if I don't do it, I'm going to be in trouble with someone. That debt is in recognition of what God's done already. Has God been very kind to us? Has His grace been something you've observed, you've seen? then that is what dictates how I am to act towards others. And he speaks of the debt that they saw. 
Why Paul uh, refers to the churches in Macedonia and Achaia? Well, because they had dealt with the very same issues that the church in Rome would face. Um, did their churches ever face unity questions? Yeah, in Philippians, uh, we looked at Sunday night. Uh, Philippians, you see unity, you see it in Galatians, you see it in Ephesians, you see unity. The church in Corinth, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Did disunity, the unity questions were important. And so Paul brings up churches that are also involved in this, and he challenged the Corinthian believers to take part in that special offering and spoke of others. Why? Those Christians that were involved in that, guess what they were doing? They were walking in honesty towards the people in Jerusalem. What do you mean by honesty, Pastor? They saw correctly how they might love. They weren't doing it to impress Paul. They weren't doing it to impress the church in Jerusalem. I mean, what would they gain by that? They didn't live in the social media era where someone could put a big like by them, okay? What were they doing that for? They rightly saw something. They rightly had an honest understanding. They were examples of Christ. They were examples of what had been done towards them. And good examples encourage unity. Can I say that is what we ought be, as good examples illustrating Christ-like thinking. I, I have observed this. Maybe you've, How many of you have ever listened to Dave Ramsey, just out of curiosity, maybe even briefly? Often in Dave Ramsey financial uh, things he'll have someone share their story of success, their story of doing what he's recommended, and they've paid off their debt. You know, that's a really wise thing to do when you're selling an idea. It works. Okay, can I ask you something? Does the unity that the scriptures speak of, does it work? Yeah, it does. And you know what he's doing here? He is not bragging on these other Christians in Macedonia and Achaia. He's saying, look over here, this works. This is exactly what I said back in chapter 13. This is the love that is honest, and it sees the time. It is looking forward to, I mean, you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, and you see people that are expectantly waiting for Christ's return, and in so doing, they're acting as examples to other believers throughout all Macedonia and Achaia. They're examples. That's what they're living now. You know, that's what New Life Baptist Church is to be, example-living Christians. That's what I'm to be. That's what you're to be, example-living Christians. And he speaks of this matter of others who have seen it. Um, then secondly, letter B, Paul speaks of it as an obligation to do right by those who have helped us. Look how he says it in verse 27. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are, for, in the Gentile, or if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. And that word duty is the same Greek word for owe, no man, anything. It's the same idea as uh, recognizing a responsibility. That I would see it's my duty also to minister to these people who have ministered to me spiritually. Now, could someone hundreds of miles away, say, did those people minister to me? Well, if they would be honest, they'd realize that those believers in Jerusalem had had an impact on sending out the gospel, and they were the beneficiaries of that, and that God had worked through those people to then be a ministry and help to them. That was honest. That was in great recognition of their working, that they are now to be thankful. And out of that thankfulness, demonstrate care back towards them. 
you know, that, that's, that's an important aspect is that they would see, not is it a, uh, an option. You know, well, you know, if we want to do something for those guys, you just think about it and maybe do something. Paul says they saw it as an obligation. They have a duty, and they saw that duty, and they responded to that duty. You know, that is a great recognition of what I owe to someone, a, a debt that I pay, ought to pay. In the book of 1 John, we read in verse John 3, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know the word ought that's there? Same word, duty. Same idea of responsibility. That I would see what I ought to do. Now, do I always live like that? Do you always live like that? You know, this is the, the humbling part of this. Do I always recognize my debt and take it and do something with it? And I got to tell you, there are multiple times where I've been humbled by the fact that I've not done what I ought to do by others. Have you ever been there? I'm the only one. I got to tell you, church, um, you're going to find that that's going to be where you live in reality day by day with your, with your family, with the body of Christ here at New Life, with the world that we live in. You know, have you ever cut someone off in traffic? Did you demonstrate the debt that you owe that person? You say, I don't know that I owe them anything. You know, Christian, what do I owe others? We live in so much of it. I, I deserve. No, I don't. You know, if I would recognize how much God's been gracious to me, it would impact, I believe, how much I see the responsibility I have to others. And again, when we speak of this debt, we are not speaking of a debt that you have to pay to earn your salvation. That's not how Paul is viewing this whatsoever. He's speaking of a debt that you owe, a responsibility that you're to take seriously. And it's a serious responsibility towards others. A serious responsibility about how you would interact with and be a help to those around you. We have an obligation as believers to take this seriously, this debt that we have towards others. And may God help us in that. And as we recognize our failing in this, and, and I am quite certain um, it will happen. In fact, uh, unity issues will come from these things, won't they? In your home, where do unity problems come? When someone isn't loved as they ought to be loved, right? And they hurt because of not being loved the way they ought to be loved. When that takes place, it is hard, but it is absolutely necessary. It is necessary for the one who's offended to say, I've offended. And then to continue to recognize, I can do what I ought to do. I want to do that. And that, that Christ can be seen in the unity that comes from that is a marvelous thing. And I want to see more of that. I want that. I want to pray for that. I want to pray for that in our church. And so may God help us.